0: open up the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1, as we will continue where we left off last week there, uh, we made it through the first 14 verses, we'll finish verses 15 through 23 today, Ephesians chapter 1, now I'm not sure if I told you last week, (laughs) I probably did, but I'll say it again. The book of Ephesians is my favorite book. It's an incredible book. Just going through the first 14 verses are really jam-packed with doctrinal truths. And as we continue, you're going to see that Paul continues to just refine it and bring about even more details for us. And he lays that out over the remaining of the chapters in Ephesians. Now, if you remember, in the first uh, verses 3 through 10, that was... I think, I believe, is the longest sentence in the Bible. Well, today, we'll see another very long sentence, even though it's a fragmented sentence. It's a a wholly fragmented sentence for you English lovers, and it's a very long sentence there, verses 15 through 21. If you remember, last week in the first, first 14 verses, we understood and found out three key truths. One is the fact that uh, truth, uh, true spiritual blessings come from God and that's the only source of true spiritual blessings is only from the source and that is Him himself and that is that personal relationship with God two is that all these spiritual blessings come from God's grace and for his glory he gives it based on his grace because we don't deserve anything good <laughs> we know we're a sinner saved by grace we don't deserve it but he does. He gives and pours out his spiritual blessings, his riches upon his children. And it's to bring about for his glory and his work through our lives. Remember, the source of a great encouragement for us today and each day as we live our lives is the knowing that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit work together for to bring about a true blessing within your life. To work in and on your behalf, and in your behalf, to to bring these spiritual blessings, promises to light in your life. What a what a way to have a promise and a hope in your life. As we will continue to see that, as Paul works through here the remaining of this part of the scripture. But not only is the fact that you know the blessings come from God, and the fact that only by God's grace and God's glory that He would even do these things. And we saw in verses six that it, that the. the God the Father chose us. He adopted us. He accepts us to the praise of the glory of His grace, Ephesians 1.6. And so has God the Son redeemed us, forgiven us, revealed God's will to us, and made us part of God's inheritance. And we see that also to the praise of His glory, verse 12. And then we saw in verse 14, the God of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sealed us and became the guarantee of our future blessing to the praise of his glory. So not only do the spiritual blessings come from God, the spiritual blessings come from the grace of God for the God's glory, but we saw a third thing, and that is spiritual blessings are only the beginning. As we continue to study the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life as he reveals to you and to me the spiritual blessings, the promises as a child of God. And as a child of God, we can sit there firmly regardless of you cannot see it. It don't feel like this would ever happen. But it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what you see. It only matters what God's promises says to you as a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, or you have no desire to have a close relationship with God, you don't. You, those promises are not for you. As a, if you're not a child of God, and you don't want things, uh, the things of God, you're not going to experience those blessings of God. But you and I desire everything that God has promised, and that is, means that we have, want that deeper and deeper relationship with God. Not with the world. Not with your own flesh and in touch with your own feelings. You want to get in touch with the God Almighty who created you in the womb of your mother. Who knew you before he even created you in the womb of your mother. That is who we, that's why we come, we study the word of God because we want God to reveal him more and more and more to us. Amen? Now we see in verses 15-23 that Paul continues, and we'll see a prayer of enlightenment. We're going to see Paul actually write out a prayer, his prayer that he prays for the people of, in Ephesus. And remember, this is a circular letter, so this letter applies to you and, and to I today as the church. As a body of believers, this letter was written for you. So this prayer that Paul has and has written down is for you. What does he say? Well, he says there, therefore, everything I just wrote so far in the beginning of my letter here, verses 1 through 14, therefore, for this reason, he says, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, Do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he says, for this reason, the believers have gained all these spiritual blessings. Including election, including predestination, adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom. Understanding the knowledge of his will for your life. The sealing of the Holy Spirit, the guarantee, and an inheritance that we're going to receive blessings, riches from God. All of that. Therefore, Paul now prays for the people in Ephesus. A key thing. He now will pray and say he prays for them that they might know God personally and intimately. That was his desire. That was his prayer for them. God, I pray they know you personally and intimately. Not know of God, but know God. Many know of God. Oh, I know of God. Yeah, sure. But Satan knows of God. He doesn't know God. Not an intimate God. Not one of a desire of an intimacy, of closeness and oneness, of Knowing who he is and what he promises. That's where we desire to be. That's what Paul's prayer is for the people, in the Ephesus, his, your brothers and sisters back in those days and for us today. He wants us to know at a deeper and intimate level of who God is. Not only that, but Paul, notice here, Paul shows us here that preachers those who teach the Word of God must not do not only just preach, not only just teach to their audience, but they must also pray for them. Oh, how convicting that was for me to study this and say God's saying, how much do you spend on your knees for your people that you teach? Do you pray for them unceasingly? Do you have them by name? Do you see them by their faces? Do you pray that, yes, and I can honestly say, God, yes, I do. I pray that every every time I come to study and prepare, God, I pray that people will know you deeper and deeper in their relationship with you. That through the teaching on Sunday, they would desire you more than anybody and anything else in their life. But then I say, but I don't do it enough. How much more I need to be praying for each and one of you by name? That God would you would allow God to do a work to the calling He has in your life for the purpose and the glory of His praise. First kingdom. I know you as a parent. You do that with your parent, your kids. You pray for them daily, unceasingly praying for them, that they would know God in a deep and intimate way. Because it really doesn't matter if they're a astronaut or a policeman or a ballerina. It matters nothing if they don't know God at a personal, intimate level. That's all that matters, my, my brothers and sisters. That's where we need to be. Paul is saying, I need to be praying for you, not only teaching you, but pre- praying for you, Paul says. We discovered that we were both rich when we trusted Christ. But it's not enough. It's not enough just to know of God and read the Word of God and just know what the Word says. But the question is, are you growing in your understanding of the promises, the spiritual blessing that God has revealed to you in the Word of God? It is so important that we go beyond just knowing the Word, but to actually believe it and allow it to be applied to our life. To to receive that and and to to be obedient and, and, and move forward by faith in that. To grow and to mature in their understanding and your faith of God. Too many people today know a little bit of God, but they really don't know God in an intimate level as a child of him. So many times, even in our world, we say, "Do you know your dad? I really don't know my dad." Because I really never spent time talking to my dad and getting to know what my dad says and thinks and moves. But how important in our Heavenly Father we want to know Him. And how we get to know Him is through the Word of God. There is no other way. And allowing the Spirit of God to reveal who He is. See, too many Christians never find out that vast spiritual wealth that God has put into our account through our relationship with Jesus Christ. There was a saying that was given to me many, many years ago. I've held on to it. I've never used it before and I'll use it today as a is an analogy, an example of, of someone, and, and it was a guy back in the, he was born in the 1800s, he, I, I think he died in 1951, but he was a well-known uh, newspaper publisher, politician um, kind of guy, He's, uh, his name was Will, uh, William Randolph Hearst. And he had invested much of his fortune that he received into treasures that he collected throughout the world back in those days. And he'd collect them and he have them in warehouses everywhere. And he got to this point where he heard about this treasure and he's like, these treasures, and he says, I want those treasures. And so he has his, his hired hands. He says, go around and figure out where they're located in this world and whatever it does, do not come back until you find those treasures. And sure enough, it, that... That obedient servant, off an agent, off around the world looking for these valuable treasures, and he searches highs and lows and checks with everybody, and finally comes back and reports, says, "We found the treasures." And William says, Oops, "Great! Where? How do I can get them?" And he says, "You have them already in your vaults." See, so many times we want the things these blessings, these, these values, these riches, but we don't even understand that we already have received them through our relationship with God. We, already, we just have to, to receive them and to apply them and understand that God has already given those to us. Like this man who searches around the world for the things of this world, but then realizes he already had them, and he spent a lot of time and effort and energy trying to get something that he already had. Some people say, I want peace. You already have peace. Peace that goes beyond your own understanding. It can only come from God. So, why are you saying you don't have peace? I don't have joy. Why don't you have joy? You have joy. You have the relationship with God who gives you the joy. Why do you mean you don't have joy? You may not be happy because the weather changed, but that doesn't change the deep joy that you have in the security of a child of God. I don't feel secure. You have the secure of the heavenly father. Nothing's going to touch your life unless it's been him, unless it's been approved by him. No one's going to touch your life unless God, the heavenly father allows it. You're a child of his. Your dad's a big God, a big daddy. He's no one's going to touch you. So when you say you don't feel secure, what do you mean you don't feel secure? You're secured. I don't have a plan in my life. I don't have direction. I don't know what the five-year plan is. My 10, am I going to survive? Where am I going to live? You already have it. Your home is in heaven. It's not on this earth. You already know where you're going. You just don't know when. God does. And you're secure with that. You just let him be in control over those things. See, the promises are already there, my brothers and sisters. You just need to know it and believe it and be understand and be secured in this. It's already lined out for you and I. Just read the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to show you clearly what he has for you. Paul, he's just looking at these Christians in Ephesus these Ephesian Christians, to understand the great wealth that they had in Christ. See, in verse 15, if you make note, he says, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. See, you and I live in two dimensions. You live by faith and your relationship with God. That is the vertical relationship with God. That is straight up and down. You also have a dimension of relationship or the love between each person. That's the horizontal. Now, ever look at a cross. If your vertical is not straight up and down, your horizontal is all messed up. You must get your relationship right with God. You must draw close to Him, and when you draw close to Him, and He works in your life and moves in your life in a way He wants to move, the love of Him will come through, and it will then flatten out and make things very horizontal, make things very straight and good with the relationships with people around you. So anytime you're having problems with people, your relationship with God, something's not right. And we must say, God, something's not right, because my relationship with this person is not, the, is it something I'm not right, or am I handling it right? How do I respond right? Yes, there could be evil people coming against you, but how you respond to that can make all the difference. And you must go to God and ask him, how do I respond to this evilness? How do respond to what seems to be unloving? But Paul knew that faith and love were just the beginning for the Ephesian believers. The Ephesians needed to know much more. And he prayed that they would know God even more and more intense. If you go back and look at any of Paul's prison epistles, you will see in uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the book uh, book of Philippians, or even Colossians. You will know as you study the word, he never asked for things for the people. He never asked for things for the people. His prayer was always about the relationship with the people and God. He always wanted to make sure that it wasn't about the material things. His emphasis was on the spiritual enlightenment or the the character of the Christian. That's all he prayed for for the people. So many times work so quick. God, I want this, I need this, I need this, I wanted this, I want to go here. How much time do you spend saying, God, I really want to be changed by you? I want my character to be changed. I want to know you deeper. I want to have a, a love that comes from me that will help and permeate to reach the lives of people who have no hope. See, that's where our prayer life has to be settled through. And God, eventually, will work that around. It's only a matter of time. You spend more time asking for material things that eventually, after you've prayed yourself out, at the very end, you say, God, I'm, I don't deserve any of this, and I just want you. And I want people to know you more and more. That's how Paul understood it. And that's his prayer for you and I as we look at the prayer of enlightenment. But there's two things before we get in the heart of the verses 17 through 21. Verses enlightenment comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And we're going to see. You can go back and read um, Isaiah 11:2, John chapter 14 verses 25, 26 And John chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, we clearly know the enlightenment, the revealing of truth can only come by the Holy Spirit moving and and revealing things to you and I. That is how things are enlightened to you and I as we study the word of God. Because a natural man, you and I in our natural state cannot understand the things of God. We need the Holy Spirit to enlighten him. And we read that in our opening here, when, um, uh, opening verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 16. So people, before they give their life to Christ, before they're born again, they read the Word of God, they hear the Word of God, and they hear and understand nothing. It doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't confuse. Don't worry. You're not, there's not something wrong with you intellectually. It's Intellectually, it's not, not the problem for you. It's because you're not born again and you don't have the Holy Spirit sealing you and living within you. It will not reveal to you other than who Jesus Christ is. And that's all the Holy Spirit will do. But once you become a child of God, once you have the Holy Spirit in, now the Holy Spirit reveals truth by as you study the Word of God, it makes sense, and you understand the promises, you understand how to apply it, and and give you the power to be obedient to do it. So that's always when I would first, you know, you know, hear people talking to me. Oh, I don't hear the word of God. I don't, I don't know the word of God. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. When I read it, and so it's boring. Well, do you what, tell me about your relationship with God? Because if you have a relationship with God, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to reveal the truth, and you're going to learn and grow if you desire that. So the enlightenment comes from the Holy Spirit, and the natural man cannot make that happen. You could read a book like some novel, and it'll be just a novel to you, and it'll make no sense to you. But once you're a child of God, and you read it, it comes alive. It's living and breathing, and it will speak to you at the moment you need to be hearing from him. In the situation at hand, it goes on and on. And all of you who have been walking with the Lord understand that, and has revealed that to you. But the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us from his word and then gives us the wisdom and, and understanding to apply it. But he also gives us the power from the Holy Spirit to enable to practice the truth. So many times people will say, I, I know what I need to do, but why don't I do it? And I know what I don't shouldn't be doing, but I, I do it. And that is because we need, you need to spend more time de- going deeper into the Word of God, spending more time with God, and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you, enable you to do what God wants you to do. You must spend that intimate time with Him and talk to Him about those things. Allowing Him to work in and through your life to give you the um, ability to, to make that change within your life, and allow Him to make that change in your life. Not only is the... Enlightenment comes from the Holy Spirit, but enlightenment comes from the heart of the believer. We see here in verse 18, as we will read that. That literally the enlightenment is the eyes of your heart being enlightened. See, many times you hear what comes out of the heart. Or what comes out of the mouth is from the heart, and that is true. It's the inner man, the inner woman. What's who you are deep within? But the enlightenment, the Holy Spirit will bring to, out into the heart of a believer. And, and we think of the heart from a, like an emotional part of a man, or 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 it's the the feelings that that women have, and that must it comes. That's that's a heart. You know, what do you feel for him, or what do you feel for? her? But really, the heart, the inner man, the inner woman, is really means the, the, the not only just the emotions, but also the mind and the will of a person. So when God comes in and wants to change you, He doesn't change you just your emotions. He wants to change the way you think, your mind, and He also wants to move your will away from your will toward His will. That's the inner man, the inner woman, that He wants to do a work and, and change. And if you allow that to happen, then the enlightenment or the, through the Word of God will change the heart of the believer. See, the heart of the inner man has these, these, these senses, these spiritual senses that match with the spiritual senses we see in the Scripture. Now, I'll give you an example. The inner man can see. We see that in Psalm 119.18 and John 3, 3, that the spiritual sees what's going on in your, in your life, just like the physical, we can see. We also see that the same sense is the inner man can hear the things of God. That's Matthew 13, 9 and Hebrews 5.11. The inner man can taste and see that it's good. We can see that in Psalm 34, 8 and 1 Peter 2:3, that your spiritual senses can taste the things of God. We can also see the inner man can smell what is good, what is pleasant. Philippians 4.18, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But we all can see the spiritual sense from a man, from a woman who God is working, and it's the inner man or the inner man of the touch. And we can see that in Acts 17.27. This is what what Jesus meant in Matthew 13.13 when he says, Seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. The inability to see and understand spiritual things is not a fault about intellectual of a person. But it's but a, a heart issue. There needs to be a change of that inner man, that heart of a person, so that they can hear and see and feel and smell and taste the things of God that are good. That they can, they can not only emotionally understand God, they can uh, um, uh, their mind, their mentally, they can understand the things of God. But they could also, their will will line up with the will of God. And that's what we want, is it not? And so, as God reveals Himself, that's why we spend time reading the Word of God in our private little room all by ourselves because we want to be alone with God. We want to hear the things of God. The distractions of the world need to go away, the, the things that are distracting you, the things of the. Just simplify your life to be able to hear as you study the Word of God. Let the Holy Spirit come and, in, and enlighten to you the things of truth, the promises but also to allow that change of the inner man to take place. Because I don't know about you, but as a wicked man in my youth and into my early 20s before I got saved, all I wanted once I got saved is, God, please change me. I don't want to be the man I used to be. Oh, how many times I prayed, God, take the brain out and give me someone else's brain that only can think of God. Please. Please. But God says, wait, 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 wait. I have a promise for you, Corey. You're born again. You're a new creation. I am going to change your inner man. I have got to start a work in your life, and I'm going to finish it. So hold on, Corey. And he has, and he continues to do. So we see these two things. Now, as we study here in verse 17, Paul continues says that that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So the very first thing that Paul prays for for these Ephesian believers is that they might be enlightened to the experience of God, to know God personally. That's what he's asking. I hope and pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will bring in this knowledge of who God is and will bring that to you. That is his prayer. And that's our prayer to do as well. Paul prayed that the Father would grant the Ephesians that spirit of wisdom. I pray that God will give you the spirit of wisdom to you today. But why would we want that, that experience? Why would we want that spirit of wisdom? It's certainly not so that we can sit there and say, "Ooh, I can predict the events in the future. Oh, I could do some prophecy stuff and write a prophecy book and be a bestseller. Oh, if God gives me the wisdom, oh, I could predict and, and think of and look at people's lives and tell exactly what they're doing, and I could I could have my own TV show. No, that's not why God gives you wisdom, the Spirit of Wisdom. He gives you the Spirit of Wisdom so that you can know God in a more personal level not for your own benefit not to get rich but to know God personally the atheist the atheist claims that there is no God for us to know the agnostic states that if there is a God we can't know him but Paul here says, and we see through the scripture, God is a, that he, Paul himself met God personally in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and that he knows that a man really can't understand apart from knowing of Jesus Christ. And so you and I can know God. If you're a child of God, you've surrendered your life to Him, then the Holy Spirit lives within you, and He will reveal the person of Jesus Christ to you. You can know God. At a personal level. Paul states it. The scriptures state it. It is true. And it doesn't matter how you think. And it doesn't matter what you feel. It is truth from God. Our Christian life must be centered around this purpose. To know God. To know God deeper and deeper and deeper. At a level that he takes us. Slowly but surely he takes us deeper and deeper as he wills. To know God in his truth. Then that truth is revealed through his word, and it corrects that false, idolatrous ideas of who God is that this world has planted in our minds. We gotta stop listening to the world you got to stop listening to religious things that were taking you away from the truth of God. And you must come back to the scriptures simply to read the scriptures and not to listen to all the commentators and everything else that is written about God. But read the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do a work. That is the most important thing. Because there's so much ignorance of God out there. And that ignorance leads people to corruption and condemnation. Romans 1.18, Paul describes the man's divulsion or that spiral low, taking a man and and a woman and taking them and spiraling them down lower and lower into depravity of their minds and their body. You go back and read Romans 1 and you can see that spiral downward flow of a man who lives by the flesh And lives by this world. And you can see clearly what happens. And it starts because of the willful willful ignorance of God to idolatry. Substituting a lie for the truth. That's where it starts. And if you and I if just looking out in our world today and reading and watching the news, you see how they have taken the truth and they've substituted it for a lie. And that is a sign of a society that is spiraling down to the lowest level of depravity. You must come back and we must go out and be a light and salt to show what the truth is from the word of God regardless of what they think. That's what God's called us to do. For the sake of someone's soul, we must share the truth to help them understand that they've been deceived and are taking and believing a lie and not the truth. And when you believe that ignorance goes on to that idolatry, that lie, then immorality and indecency is just to follow. You believe a lie, then you become very immoral, then you become very indecent. And that is what we see a plethora of in our society and around the world. So where does it beco- begin? It begins with the unwillingness to know God as your creator, as your sustainer, as your governor, as your savior, as your judge. You don't want those things, those those that God that type of God in your life, then that's what happens. You willfully say I do really do not want to know God. And then you'll get on that spiral staircase, that roller coaster that spirally takes you down. A believer must grow in his knowledge of God. It starts, remember? You hear the word of God. You hear that God saved you. He went to the cross and died for you. And you heard those words and you never have heard those before in your life. And you said, God himself went to the cross and died for my sins. So I don't have to pay for that penalty. And I can't do anything to to buy it and earn it and do anything. It's free. I just have to receive it and accept it. Have his love. And I can be saved. Yes. But it doesn't stop there, does it? That's salvation. Then it moves on to what? What? then to know him in a deeper and deeper way and as we increase our knowledge and understanding it's called sanctification Philippians 3:10. And as we get to the point where we know him perfectly it's called glorification. We see that when we study 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 9 through 12. Sanctification, I mean salvation, then sanctification and then glorification. That is when we're in the presence of God. Since we were made in the image of God, right from the Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, we were created and in the image of God, the better we know God, the better we know ourselves and each other. And I hope you didn't miss that. You want to discover who you are? Do you want your children to know who they are and why they were created? Do you want people who have no hope and they have no purpose and they have no direction in life? They think their end of their life and the suicide rates are climbing in an astronomical way? It's because they do not know God and they refuse to know God and they push things from God and they let the world dictate their lives. And because of that, they do not know who they are and what the purpose is for them. And that is why people take their lives, because they think there's no value. But you and I as a child of God know that we have value. We know there is a purpose and that God created us for a purpose to, to worship Him and to be with Him for eternity. And so we must go out there and say, you want to know you better? You don't need a shrink. You need to know God and you need to get in the Word of God so He can reveal to you who he, you are and what He's created you to be. And when that happens, my brothers and sisters, there will be no more cutting. There will be no more substitutes of drugs and alcohol. There will be no more substitute of false love through through sexual perversion. You will know God and God will change and reveal to you for the purpose of of what he has created you to be. And you will have a security that is beyond your own understanding. And a peace and joy that will just flood your life. And you will have such a joy you cannot help but go out and help those who are hurting and have lost in this dying world. You cannot sleep. You cannot pass day by day through this world living your own little perfect little world and trying to create it and watch people dying right and left to the left and right of you. Because God would have changed you to such a deep level but you cannot be so selfish and live a life that just is perfect of what you want and watch people die around you. You can't. That's why Paul said, "I want you to know God at a personal, intimate level, because when you do that, the world will change. Your community will change. Your family will change. Not only does God, we see Paul's prayer that he wants you to know God personally, but he see in verse eighteen that we." that he wants to enlighten you again here. says, the eyes of your understanding, which is the heart, right? We just talked about a little bit. It refers to your heart. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened. Your heart be enlightened. Your inner man be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So the second part of his prayer is here, is that we might be enlightened to God's calling of your life. Paul wanted them to know the security and the enduring hope in life that comes simply from knowing God. And the fact that God has called us and has specifically calls us to a fulfilling of his desire. See, Paul never tried to testify or... Or, or or simplify or keep a small thing. And throughout all of his writings, he was so intense in, in all of his writings, in all of his, his t- teaching and all of his writings to get across. He wanted them to know that God called him by his grace. And that he had him be called by his grace. And he reminded even Timothy, if you remember in 2 Timothy, he reminded even young Timothy, a young man that he was coming along. He said, he believed that you have a holy calling on your life, Timothy. There's a tremendous purpose that God has called you and created you to do. And you must seek after God so that he can continue to reveal what that is for you. We see in 1 Peter 2.9, we have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called to glory, 1 Peter 5.10. God calls us by his grace and not because of any merit or any things we can do to possess it. And Paul wants us to understand the hope that is ours because of his calling. We'll see that in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4. The word hope. Ellipsis in the Greek carries key words. It means assurance for the future, a confident hope. It's not one of those things where you hear, oh, hope. It's not one of those hope so moments. Oh, I hope I get a puppy for Christmas. Oh, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. No, no. This is not a hope to get something. This is a confident hope that God said something and it's true and it will happen regardless of what you think and feel. That's the hope he's referring to here in the language. The believer's hope is, of course, the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return for his church. That is a hope. That's a confident hope. We see that in 1 Thessalonians four thirteen verse through 18, and 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And when we were lost, we were without hope. But when Jesus Christ came in and we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, he became our living hope. And that living hope encourages us to live day by day until Jesus comes back and raptures us or takes us out of here in his timing. And the hope that belongs to our calling should be a dynamic force in our lives. It should be encouraging us to be pure. To live a pure life. It should call us to be obedient to the things of God. It should call us to be faithful to what God is calling us to do. The fact that we shall one day see Jesus Christ in the person and be like him should motivate you and I on our daily basis to live according to the ways of God. To live a life that is pleasing to him. And when you sit there and we find ourselves in days where we feel like living the way we want to live, like the world or in our flesh, we must stop and say, God, I love you more than my own flesh. I love you more and you're coming back for me. I guarantee it because you said it and I believe it. I don't care what anyone else tells me. And because of that, I know you're coming back at any moment. I choose to be live a pure and obedient and faithful life for you. I want to just please you. That will change your life, my brothers and sisters. But when you let the enemy come in your mind and say that Jesus isn't coming back for you, you're on the slope of a spiral going down and you don't even know it. Because when you don't believe that Jesus is coming back for you, you will compromise in your life. And I, I, it deeply saddens me when I watch a brother and sister start spiraling downward because they want to live after the flesh and do not believe that God is coming back and sees all things, knows all things, he's everywhere. Hello? It will change your life. And as he reveals his calling in your life, I pray that will change your life. Now, the second part of the eighteen gets the third part of the prayer that Paul is talking to the Ephesian believers here. He says, what are the riches of the glory and his inheritance in the saints? So the third thing is that he wants that you and I might know or be enlightened to God's riches for you as a child of God. Now, keep in mind, notice here the verse. It does not refer to the same inheritance in Christ that we read in verse 11. Look at, read read verse 11. Now read verse, this verse, and you'll notice that this verse is about Jesus Christ's inheritance in us. Not only do we get an inheritance in verse 11, but we're an inheritance to Jesus Christ himself. We're a blessing to him. We usually think of our only of our inheritance as God. God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? But understand that God is saying right here, Paul writing here, is that to the Ephesians to understand that we're so precious to God Himself that He has considered us His own inheritance. We're the fruit of His Of what he has sown. He has sown into our lives. He's given our lives to, he gave his life to us by going to the cross. It's our inheritance. He has now received the body of Christ, the church. It's an inheritance to Jesus. And this is an amazing truth. That God should look on you and me as part of his great wealth. Just as a man's wealth brings glory to his name, so God will get glory from the church because of what he has invested in us. And when Jesus Christ comes, we saw in verse 6, it will be to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's why you and I have to understand something that I mentioned very early on that God doesn't work with you in the past. He only looks at your life and looks to the future. He looks at your life and sees how and what you're going to become in him. He doesn't focus on your past like you and I do. Think about this. Remember Gideon, that cowardly little guy. Do You remember what God said to Gideon when he was in his cowardly state. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, he says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Do you remember when God, Jesus said to Andrew's brother, You are Simon, you shall be called Cephas, which means a stone, John 1, one forty two. But if you remember when God made those statements, was Gideon a valor-mighty warrior? He was a, he was a coward. When he made that statement about Simon becoming Cephas a stone. Was he? No. Again, he was weak. He was a coward. But as you know in the scriptures, we see Gideon did become a mighty man of valor. We did see that Simon became Peter the rock. And started and God used him in a mighty way to spread the gospel. And he was a key leader within the church. God looks at your life, and you and I sit there and focus on our past or where we're currently present, but you need to understand where God sees you in the future and what you're going to become, and that is what we need to focus on as well, what God is doing in your life. And you will find that most of the weight and the weariness and the challenges that you have in your life as you walk with Christ is because you focused on your your shortcomings and your weaknesses in the past and the mistakes of the past and not on the fact that God has changed you and the promises and the spiritual blessings of the future of how he's going to be in the presence of him. But you have to make that decision what you're going to ponder on daily. You need to bring every thought under captivity, the scripture says, and ponder on the truth of God and how he sees you, not how you see yourself or anyone else sees you. Many times we sing a song that people will look at you in such a way and they tell you you're nothing and you're amounted you're to nothing. And you're, I, I heard that in my own life. But then I got in a position where I'm in a child of God and I learn and see how God sees me and he sees me completely different. And that's what I choose to believe and not the voices of the past or anyone else present. God has a plan. And he is faithful to complete that plan and that work in your life. We will be glorified in him. Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, just knowing the fact This fact, should drive us as a believer into a life of dedication and devotion to our Lord and Savior. Verse 19, so what? What's the next thing that Paul has for us? He says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in that which is to come. So we see the fourth thing that Paul wanted to make sure these Ephesian believers. And you and I today to know. That we might be enlightened to and to know God's power within your life. As a child of God, the Holy Spirit is God's power living within you. Paul wanted them to know how great the power of God toward us who believe. Christians should know they serve and love a big, big God of living power. Who shows his strength on behalf of his people. By making us his inheritance. God has showed his love toward you. By promising us a wonderful future. He has given us an encouraging hope that we can hold on to. Paul often. T- or offered something to challenge our faith here. In verse 19 he says. The exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. My question is for you today, do you believe today? Do you believe who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you? Do you believe the promises of God from the scripture? The power that comes from that belief will bring you through anything. anything that God allows in your life after all what good is it to have wealth if you are too weak to use it or if you are so afraid of the robbers to come in to steal the, the riches that cannot you can't even enjoy it because you're just afraid all the time but as a Christian we need the power for several reasons first, to begin with, by nature, we are too weak to appreciate and even accept and inappropriate the wealth that God has given us. To even use it in the way we should use it, we're just weak. Matthew 26, 41 says it this way, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But to turn this vast spiritual wealth that God has given to a human being and put it in a living, uh, you know, into a human, you know, allow this this human to just, through human wisdom or uh, human strength or human ways or, and just allow them to just take what the power of God and just use it in a humanistic way. It would be destruction, absolute destruction. It's like giving an atomic bomb to a child. Oh, let's push the button. Who cares about the consequence? Let's just have fun. That's how the world thinks. We're just having fun, aren't we? Who cares what the consequences are? It's fun. I'm bored. I'm empty. I don't know what to do. And so the People get crazy and go do things in their own humanistic way and don't understand when they push the button and they do the things that they do. It hurts them and it hurts others around them. So God says, you're weak. You can't even handle all this, what I have for you. That is why you need my strength. You need me to help you to apply it and be within constraints and understanding of how I want you to do it. The second reason... Why we need God's power is that there are enemies out there looking to take you out. There's enemies right and left. Satan crouches like a, like a lion ready to pounce on you. You need the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to fill you afresh, to empower you, to, to, to not to worry about the robbers, not to worry about the, the enemies coming after you, because you're a child of God and he's going to protect you. And you must try to trust in his power to be able to live this life. We could never defeat these spiritual enemies in our own power. If you see in the scriptures here in verse 21 that God has put all principalities. This is darkness. These are are demons. Principalities, power, might, dominions. I don't know and you don't know what the scripture doesn't define. All these levels of demonic forces that are out there against us. All I know is what the Scripture says, and he refers to them here as principalities. Remember, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness of this world. And Paul here outlines some, some names and some degrees, principalities, power and might and dominion. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. All I know is God has given me the power of God to withstand those powers that are coming against. That God is giving me the power to be able to live a life that is pleasing to him. Regardless of what Satan wants to come after me. Or some demon wants to come into me. Can't come into me. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. I cannot be demon possessed. Now if you do not have Jesus Christ. Yes you could get demon possessed. But as a child of God you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he does not share space. Not at all. We must trust in the power that God, as Paul says, be enlightened to God's power in your life. The power is seen in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is no other source. If it is the power, mighty power that raised Jesus to heaven, as we see here in the scriptures, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, It's the same power that raised him in his resurrection, but also raised him above all demonic enemies and every potential enemy of all time. This same power is at work in your life. So do not be deceived when you say, I cannot overcome this sin. That is false. Jesus already died for that sin. He already has taken it, as we learned last week. He took that sin and he carried it away. You'll never see it again. And then he's given you the power to resist and to stay away from the sin. So don't tell me, and I used to live that lie too, oh, I'll never give up this sin. No, it's a lie. He's given you the power of God to overcome any temptation that comes your way. The question is, will you trust in his power to say no or to walk away? In some cases, run. And the answer, yes, he has the power to give you to say and live a right life. You must choose. You're not a robot. You have choice. Today we measure God's power by the miracle of Christ's resurrection. It wasn't some mere raising him up, and dusting him off from the tomb. He raised him from the dead. He raised him into heaven. He's now sitting in a place of authority at the right hand of God in heaven, and he intercedes for you. Not only a savior, he is also sovereign. No authority or power or humanity or any worldly spirit is greater than that of Jesus Christ, the exalted son of God. He is far above all anything anyone can come against you. You must believe that and you must understand and trust that. And then we finish here these last two verses. And he puts all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul, here at the end, explains in a very practical application. Because we are believers, we are in the church. And as a church, it is Christ's body, and he is the head of that body. And the idea of the fullness of him here is probably connected to the matter that the fact that Jesus fills his church with his presence and his blessings. The word there we see in the Greek for the word fill or the fullness is completeness. He completes you and I. He completes you individually, but he completes us as a body of Christ. He makes that connection of the body. We're all different parts of the body. But because he's the head and he's the connection, he brings us together in the fullness and the unity in Christ. Take a look across the spectrum of this church. And you will look at the diversity of just you and I and who we are and where we come from. And everything and facets you can think of, you see a cross representation here of this world. How do you and I come together on a Sunday to study the word of God and as, child, as children, as brothers and sisters? is only because he is the head and he brings us into a oneness. There is no other way. Because we're so diverse, so different in our ways of thinking and everything. How does he bring a husband and wife together because he is to be the head of the household of that couple? That's how he brings two people together in unity. And if you try to do it any other way, it will fail. Guarantee. God, in his wisdom and understanding knows that as he brings in this, this living connection between you and Christ. This, this head over the body of Christ and keeps the body functioning properly. And when someone is injured, a certain part is injured or a part of the brain is injured, you handicap and paralyze the corresponding parts of the body and Christ is our spiritual head. So we must keep Christ's clean and clear and understanding of what the scriptures say and it keeps the body running perfectly. You start diverting and twisting who Jesus Christ is and what he did or did not do and the body will fall apart. It's only a matter of time. No wonder Paul says the exceeding greatness of his power to us. He understands that the power of the Holy Spirit is to raise the resurrection, the ascending Christ—it's—it's it's available to you by faith. His power is to—to to, to, is for us to who believe, and it's by grace that He supplies us with this power, this wealth, this ability, and it's only by faith that we can lay hold of that wealth. And it's only by grace, by faith, that we're even able to take and stand here today to do that by grace and grace alone. There's nothing you can do or I can do to earn it. So we see here today Paul's prayer. The question is, will Paul's prayer be answered in your life? Will you start today to begin to know the experience of God personally? Will you start today to know God's calling of your life? Will you allow God to reveal himself to know God's riches that he's given you as a child of God? And will you allow him to give you his power, God's power to live a Christian life, a a follower of Christ that is pleasing and glorifying to him? Will you? Will you choose today? I hope you do.